growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week, we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents The Grow Show with your host, multi-award-winning grow master and respected cannabis consultant, Kyle Cushman. Hello and welcome to every optimistic, slap-happy, hard-working humanoid. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com and I am your host, Kyle Cushman. Today's show is a very happy show for me. On today's show, I have Mr. Dan Vietz. He is a private attorney with many credentials to his name. He has worked for the ACLU. He's been a state coordinator for Normal. He has awards ranging from the Martin Luther King Freedom Award to Freedom Fighter Awards from High Times Magazine. Basically, he's been fighting for people's freedoms for a very, very long time. And so I would like to welcome to this show Mr. Dan Vietz. Thanks for talking to us today, Dan. Thank you, Kyle. It's my pleasure. Yeah, so we, ha- we got some good news the other day. We are talking about a man who has spent the last two decades in a maximum security prison all because of a plant. But on September 1st, Jeffrey Mazansky walked out of jail, and that is in no small part thanks to you. I'm just going to give a little bit of background here really quick. Jeff was sentenced in 1996 after police said that he conspired to sell six pounds of marijuana to a dealer connected to a Mexican drug cartel. The life with no parole sentence was allowed under a Missouri law for persistent drug offenders. Jeff already had two drug convictions, one for possession and sale of marijuana in 84 and another for possession in 91. He was the only Missouri inmate serving such a sentence for a nonviolent marijuana-related offense when Democratic Governor Jay Nixon agreed in May to commute his sentence. Jeff was the only prisoner that was serving a life sentence without parole at the Jefferson City Correctional City Center in Missouri. Jefferson City Correctional Center is a level 5 maximum security prison. Normally, nonviolent offenders are not housed in level 5 facilities. However, because Jeff received a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole, he was sent to a maximum security prison. On September 1, 2015, he walked out of that prison a free man after receiving a pardon from Missouri Governor Jay Dixon. Now, I just can't understand how a nonviolent drug offense ended up getting life without parole at a maximum security prison. How did this happen? Well, it's a result of several factors coming together and what they uh, call a perfect storm, I suppose. But you're absolutely right. Jeff has never even been accused of an act of violence in his life. He's never been charged with or convicted of, of any violent offense. And the only offenses he's ever been convicted of are really relatively small marijuana offenses. Now, I know it's been reported he was convicted of conspiring to sell a six-pound brick, but the truth is all he did was hold that brick in his hands for a few moments. That's all there was to it. He handed it to somebody else, and that qualifies as distribution in the state of Missouri. He gave a friend a ride to meet some guys from Mexico who were going to sell his friend that brick, but Jeff never even owned it. He never bought it. He never intended to even possess it. <laughs> he just I don't, it handed I, to him. I, I think that almost everybody out there listening, without exception, would agree that even if he handed that six-pound brick to a yeah. federal officer, he still yeah. is not deserving of the sentence that he got, That's right. and he should not be put That's in exactly right. with all of these violent criminals. It's really inhumane. 
So I think we all agree that marijuana should be legal, so you're absolutely right about that. But the way it happened again is that back in the 80s and 90s, when the drug hysteria was really whipped to a feverish peak and politicians were just trying to outdo each other on how mean they could be to drug offenders, there was a law passed in Missouri, like many others, but here in Missouri, a law passed called the Prior and Persistent Drug Offender. And that simply means if you have two or more prior drug-related felonies, then on your third one, you can be charged with an offense that carries 10 to 30 years or life in prison, and that sentence will be without the possibility of a parole, very similar to the federal system in that respect. And so Jeff was offered, and I've represented many, many people who were in that situation, and generally the prosecutors, of course, will offer you a sentence which is less than you might get if you go to trial. That law coerced a lot of people into pleading guilty who would not have pled guilty otherwise, but Jeff would not plead guilty. He was adamant that he didn't, didn't even know what was in that brick, and it certainly didn't belong to him, and he went to trial. And he went to trial twice, actually. The first trial result was overturned, but the second trial reached the same conclusion. The jury found him guilty in each trial. And I'll tell you, our system punishes people for exercising the right to trial. Very clearly it does so. In the federal system, they put it in black and white. It's right there. If you didn't accept responsibility, meaning if you went to trial, then you get a much harsher sentence. What's true in the state system also, and because Jeff went to trial, the prosecutor who had been offering him 20 or 30 year sentences, and it's, it's you know outrageous, crazy sentences, but that same prosecutor, after Jeff went to trial, asked for life without parole. But it's really the judge who is to blame. Judge Ted Scott is the one who gave that sentence to Jeff Mazansky. The prosecutor, to his credit, actually came around to our point of view. And the prosecutor, who's now an associate circuit judge in, in Pettis County, Missouri, actually helped us lobby the governor to grant Jeff clemency. Now, the governor did grant him not a pardon, technically, but a form of clemency called a commutation of his sentence. So he didn't let him out, which is what we asked for, of course, but he did make Jeff eligible for parole. He took that part off his sentence. And I think the governor knew and everyone who is familiar with the system expected that the parole board, which is after all appointed by the governor, would indeed let him out on parole. So I went into the parole hearing with Jeff on August the 6th. And I'll tell you, that parole board was not friendly, and they hardly ever are in my experience, but, but they were hostile. And they wanted to get him to admit he was guilty of a lot of other things he wasn't even charged with. And I was not feeling totally optimistic when we came out of that hearing. They told us it would be six to eight weeks before we'd have an answer. But four days later, they called Jeff to the front office. They said, well, Jeff, we've got some bad news for you. And then they paused and said, you're going to be here at least 10 more days. And so, of course, they were telling him that, indeed, we had our answer in just four days, and the answer was he would be paroled. And then, indeed, as you pointed out, September 1, 7.45 a.m., he walked out into the arms of his family and lots of friends and supporters and lots of media people, too. What a travesty. This is... This three strikes and you're out law and this drug war that we have been perpetuating for several decades now, to me, the sentence that Jeff received is very slightly less than getting death when yes, you have to spend – sentenced to die in prison. Exactly. Yes, he would die. And, and it's terrible. And, and there are other states with similar laws. Is that correct? Oh, yes, there are indeed. So in the past 20 years – uh, approximately how many violent offenders would you say were released after having served less time than Jeff did for his nonviolent drug offense? Oh, 
thousands. I mean, I, I don't know the number, but I don't think there's any question it's in the thousands. Missouri has about 30,000 people behind bars. And for the most part, you know, the people serving long sentences generally are people who have committed a violent offense or at least stolen something pretty valuable from somebody else. But there are indeed also many people in prison just for marijuana in Missouri and throughout the country. You know, and I it really aggravates me when I hear a prosecutor or or a politician, which is what prosecutors are, say, oh, nobody goes to prison for marijuana. Well, that is not true. That is a blatant lie. People don't go to prison for possessing a misdemeanor amount. Of course, by definition, a misdemeanor is an offense for which you can go to jail but not to prison. And and they they generalize and they try to lead the public to believe that nobody goes to prison for marijuana. And, and that is simply a falsehood. Uh, it's, it's tragic and it's all too frequently the case that people go to prison for marijuana. Now, they may not go initially. I've had a lot of people who got put on probation. It might not even be for a marijuana offense initially, but they get accused of using marijuana while they're on probation, and they wind up going to prison for that reason. And it comes down to the same thing. They would not have been in prison but for smoking marijuana. How in the world did we get to a place? I mean, there there are so many things that are wrong with our country mm-hmm. right now. I mean, our infrastructure is falling apart. And but but how in the world did we get to a point where mass amounts of people think that it's proper for somebody experimenting with drugs or selling drugs or using drugs to be? left mm-hmm. in jail for longer amounts of time than murderers and rapists and people right. of that type. That's exactly the right question. I mean, that is the question that future historians, and I'm talking the short-term future, in a few decades, people will look back and just, I think their mouths will drop and they'll be astounded. And, and it really, it'll be difficult to was believe. It course, you what, know, was it money? Was it money? What was the self-interest that, no. that, that brought no, us it's there? Pre- it's prejudice. It's prejudice and ignorance. I really believe that's the the fairest way to summarize the reason, because it's not making anyone any significant amount of money to put these people in prison. It certainly is wasting their potential. Most of these folks, like Jeff, would have been out working, not living at our expense, not a burden on the taxpayers, but a taxpaying contributor. Jeff has always worked. He's a U.S. Air Force veteran, honorably discharged. When he got out of the Air Force, he was a Whiteman Air Force base in Missouri, which is near Sedalia. So he married a lady and they had a couple of kids and they decided to stay around. They liked the area. And he's always worked. He's worked in construction. He's worked in property management. And yes, he smoked marijuana and yes, he sold small amounts to to friends. And some of those friends turned out to not be friends. And so he got a couple of, you know, like one ounce sale, as you said earlier. That's a felony, of course, in Missouri. In Missouri and in many states, you know, distributing any amount. I mean, literally passing a joint can be charged as a felony here because that's distribution. But you can also be charged and you will be charged generally with a felony if you have as little as two ounces. Or if you try to sprout one seed, that's a felony. That's cultivation, a class B, five to 15 year felony if it's your first offense and more if it's uh, if it's a second or subsequent offense. So the penalties are still extremely harsh. But at the same time, it's important to know that just last year, our legislature, 
legislature, which is not a liberal legislature by any means, passed a half dozen very good marijuana law reforms. And one that I had the opportunity to fight for, I served on a Missouri Bar Committee that rewrote the entire criminal code. And one thing I really pushed for in that committee is to repeal this crazy prior and persistent drug offender law. And I was very happy to find that nobody argued otherwise. Uh, you know, we've got a committee made up of defense lawyers and prosecutors and judges and legislators, but nobody in that group really argued that this prior and persistent drug offender law made any sense. And so that went to the state legislature, and to my surprise and delight, the legislature actually passed that along with a lot of other reforms. Now, they reduced the penalties for sale by one-third. They reduced the penalties for cultivation by one-third. That's a long way from where we need to be, but it's a good step in the right direction. They also restored eligibility for food stamps to people with drug felony, felony convictions, and 41 other states have done that already. They also passed, we don't have a real medical marijuana law here yet, but we do have a CBD law, a law that allows cannabidiol to be distributed and to be grown and, and extracted from plants here in our state. So all these things came about in the same legislative session with a more than two-thirds Republican legislature. So, you know, things yeah. are looking up. Things are getting better. It's, this is not a political partisan issue at all anymore, I don't think. We're, no. finally, we're finally waking up. You know, this is a really good day. I want to send out a happy congratulations to Jeff and his family. And we're going to take a quick break right now to give some love to our sponsors. And we're going to be right back to talk more with Tour de Force attorney Dan Veet. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at karcherinsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of, of many of those things, and, and find ourselves in a, a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. 
on demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. We're speaking with Dan Vietz, attorney for Jeffrey Mazansky, the gentleman who served over two decades in jail for possession of marijuana. And, Dan, let's get right back into it. Can you tell me or do you have any kind of a guess how many prisoners in the U.S. are at this time incarcerated for life for offenses? Now, I I wish I could tell you, and there are some folks who have focused specifically on that point. I I believe it's a group out in Ohio called Life for Pot, and I'm sure if one Googles that, you can find that. I'm not sure they know everyone who's in that position, but they have a good list of them. Now, the majority of people who are serving life in prison for marijuana are serving it under the federal system. I think that's a fair statement, that it's far easier for that to happen in the federal system. And to be fair, most of those people were at least accused of possessing or selling larger amounts of marijuana, certainly far larger than the six pounds Jeff momentarily possessed. But but indeed, there there are far too many of them. Until today, I actually oh. thought that the only court that could hand down this sentence was a federal court. I had no idea no. that a state court had this authority. In some states, they do. In Missouri, they still do. As I said, we have repealed that law, but the repeal does not become effective until January of 2017. So for the next year and a half, almost, there is still that possibility here in Missouri. And I'm sure there are other states where such laws are still on the books. Yeah. And I'm sure, this is kind of a rhetorical question, are minorities or low-income folks more likely to receive life sentences for pot-related offenses? I think that's a safe assumption to make. Indeed, the ACLU did a comprehensive study of how race and marijuana law enforcement coincide just a couple of years ago, and uh, I believe the report's called Marijuana in Black and White, and they demonstrated that there are vastly greater numbers of African Americans arrested for marijuana than European Americans, and far more than their numbers would justify, and far more than, well, the reality is that, that black people don't use marijuana at any greater rates than white people do. It's just they're more likely to get arrested and they're more likely to get, for instance, black folks who are accused of murder are far more likely to get the death penalty. So I I believe it's a reasonable assumption that indeed you're more likely to suffer an outrageous marijuana sentence if you are an African-American. Sure. Can you tell me, are there more or less, or is it really an irrelevant question, are there more people being sentenced to this life without parole for actually for cannabis than they are for other drugs? No, I I don't know that that's true. In fact, as far as we know, Jeff was the only person in Missouri sentenced to life without parole for marijuana only. So I don't know if that's true or not. It is a tragedy when it happens to anyone, but we hope there's no one else sitting in prison in Missouri for marijuana only serving life without parole. Certainly. You know, we're definitely making great strides. This has been a really great year for tolerance is the the word that I like to use. What with the Confederate flag coming down and with the rights for gay marriage and the rights for personal use of cannabis. This has been a really good year. Do you have any kind of predictions that you would like to state about, you know, the coming next couple of years, you know, certainly after the presidential cycle about, you know, ending this drug war? 
Well, you're exactly right about what's happened in recent years. It's, it's amazing. It's a fundamental shift in the attitudes of Americans and finally in the attitudes of even the politicians that they elect. But we are seeing a we are seeing rapid reform come about. Of course, what was really amazing, I mean, the, you know, the watershed event was Washington, Colorado in 2012, but we always do better during a presidential election year. And that's why the legalization in the states of Oregon and Alaska was even more remarkable because that happened in an off-year election. That happened when it was not a presidential election year. You know, the reason we do better in presidential election years is because not only do more people vote, but the demographics of those people who vote only in a presidential election are very different. They tend to be younger. They tend to be more progressive, more liberal, more tolerant, and they tend to be poorer, and they tend to be Democrats more than Republicans. So our odds of winning a marijuana law reform election are far greater during a presidential election. That's why we should get as many reform measures as we can on the ballot next November. And as far as predicting, and and, uh, certainly I don't have any special insight into this, but I think we can say that, well, we know that Nevada will be voting on legalization. That's already been confirmed. Ohio will probably vote on it this November, but a lot of people don't like the form of that proposal, and I, and I sympathize with those critics. But next November, again, we're likely to see probably at least a half dozen states voting on legalization. Those will surely, most likely at least, include California. Everyone's rooting for California to succeed. And Absolutely. very likely the states of Maine, Massachusetts, Arizona, and and at least a few others are certainly in play. Florida will be voting again on medical marijuana. Missouri will very likely be voting on a good medical marijuana law on the ballot next November. Well, you know, I'm really excited for this presidential cycle because it's going to be the first time that the presidential debates are actually going to have to discuss cannabis legalization. And I'm really interested yeah. to hear what people have to say on it. I'm curious, do you would you be willing to state who you think which candidate probably would be most on the side of both ending the drug war and legalizing cannabis? Well, I think Rand Paul is probably most on our side of the recognized major party contenders right now. Rand Paul, as far as marijuana goes, is probably the most progressive. On the other hand, he's not progressive on women's reproductive rights. He's not progressive on a lot of other issues that we might wish he were. But Rand is is certainly a a good progressive, certainly among U.S. senators, probably the most outspoken advocate that we have. I'm not sure that he would be the best candidate for president for marijuana smokers. I think what's most important is that any candidate who is elected commit himself or herself to not interfering with the states who choose to legalize or choose to allow medical use. And that's something where the voters are definitely on our side. Recent polls have shown that, for instance, in Iowa, over 60% of Republican voters agree with that proposition. They may not agree that marijuana ought to be legal, but they do agree that the states ought to have the right to make that decision for themselves without federal interference. So any candidate for president who does not commit himself or herself to respecting the right of the states to reform their marijuana laws without federal interference is going to be in trouble. And I think they're all smart enough to figure that out. Maybe a few of them aren't. Apparently, Chris Christie's <laughs> not that smart. And I'm not sure Donald Trump is that smart. But most <laughs> of them have got that figured out. And why not? I mean, a conservative is supposed to be a state's rights advocate. A conservative is supposed to favor decentralized government. So why in the world would a in any true conservative will certainly 
certainly respect the rights of the states to change their laws. Well, I'll tell you why, because they are ruled by their religious beliefs. So <laughs> They're religious and they're libertarian Republicans, and Correct. the libertarians are with us. So do you see any kind of a tipping point? Is there a, you know, once we hit 30 states that have legalized or something, is there mm -hmm. some kind of tipping point that it's just going to become fruitless to continue this the, the, way, the way we're going? Even sooner, I hope. Our best historic analogy, I think, is the repeal of alcohol prohibition. Alcohol prohibition is so much like marijuana prohibition, and I think we need to keep on going back to that historic precedent when questions like this come up. So, in the case of alcohol prohibition, the state of New York was the first one to opt out, and that's what Colorado, Alaska, Oregon, and Washington have done. Now, they've opted out of the war on marijuana. They have essentially said to the federal government, screw you guys, you go ahead and have your war on marijuana if you want to, but we're not going to be part of it. You know, good luck. If you think you can arrest all the marijuana smokers in Colorado, have at it, but we're not going to help you. And so that's what happened with liquor prohibition as more states began to repeal their state prohibitions on alcohol, federal lawmakers pretty quickly, and, and I don't think it was anywhere near 30. It was really only a handful of them that, that had taken that action. Now, it helped to have Franklin Roosevelt elected president in 1932 and for him to run on a platform of repealing liquor prohibition. So, again, analogizing today, if we had a presidential candidate who was willing to come out and speak the truth and declare that he or she will fight for repeal of federal pot prohibition, it would help that candidate to get elected. I mean, again, you just look at the states and the numbers, and it doesn't, you know, it's not hard to figure out that a majority of Americans now favor repeal of marijuana prohibition, and our politicians should do likewise. Yes, I agree so much. We all know that the war on drugs has been nothing more than a war on our own citizens. And it's time to invoke civil liberties for everybody. Right. So this has been a really great show, and I hope that maybe we'll be able to have you back, and maybe we can get to talk to Jeffrey and get a little of his personal experience. That would be great. We can certainly arrange that. Lastly, what would you tell my listeners what they could do to contribute to bringing down this terrible charade that we have going on and, and this travesty? We should join with our fellow citizens in non-governmental organizations. Associate, the First Amendment protects the right of association, and any American who does not exercise that right is giving up a precious freedom. We need to associate with each other. And how do you do that? You join groups. You join groups like normal. Go to norml.org, join the oldest and best-known marijuana legalization organization in America, follow what they're doing, contribute to their work. I serve on Normal's national board. Normal is an excellent organization. Here in Missouri, in addition to Missouri Normal, we have a group called Show Me Cannabis. You know, Missouri is the show me state, so showmecannabis.org will take you to the website and information about what's going on here in our state. But nationally, of course, the Drug Policy Alliance, is a very powerful player in the reform movement, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, Marijuana Policy Project. There are many, many other great groups, but I suggest normal, and I suggest also joining and urging the ACLU to be active on this issue. The ACLU is our ally. They have been since 1968, but they fight on so many fronts, and they fight for so many freedoms that sometimes they tend to neglect cannabis. I think we need to urge our friends in the ACLU to make marijuana law reform specifically a high priority.
Dan, I really want to thank you for bringing a positive tip to our show today. So many times we're talking about things that we want to have happen or that we hope that will happen in the future. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for getting Jeffrey out of jail. And really quickly, if you just would mention maybe another website or an email of how people could get in touch with you if they would like to. If anyone wants to reach me personally, you're welcome to email. My address is D-A-N-V-I-E-T-S at gmail.com. I work with, as I said, with Normal, with the ACLU, with Show Me Cannabis here in Missouri, and lots of other great organizations who are all fighting for the same cause, and that's the end of cannabis prohibition. Absolutely. That's what we love to hear. Well, Dan Veets, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. We have to take our last break for our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Ask Kyle. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. I'd like to thank our guest, Dan Beats for being with us today. And now it's time for the Ask Kyle section. I have a bunch of good questions from our listeners this week. We're going to start off with from Toilcoin off of Reddit. He asks, he or she, asks, what would be the best way to dry my bud? Is there a way to do it that won't leave my house stinking? Well, that's a tricky one. Let's just say back in the day when I was worried about those things, I burned a lot of incense. And that would tend to cover up the drying weed in my house. As for the best way to dry your bud, I like to dry my plants whole. You can chop them up in little pieces, take the buds off the stems right when you take the plants down, but they'll dry out a lot quicker. That might be better in your case, so the house won't stink as long. You could also try building like a little cabinet out of a box and quarantining that area, you know, making a bedroom, kind of sealing it up a little bit. Like I said, burning some incense will really help a lot. Next question 
from RoboGrow off of Twitter. I'm new to growing and just have one plant. Over the past couple of weeks, it has started getting really yellow, and some of the leaves have weird brown spots on them. Could overwatering or using too much fertilizer cause this kind of problem? Well, RoboGrow, this is the trick when you first start out growing, and that is that a lot of the symptoms that you get for underage and overage can be very, very similar. So you really need to keep your records and keep track of what you do. I'm guessing the chances are that probably underfed, the weird brown spots could have to do with needing CalMag, a CalMag supplement. So if you haven't been applying a CalMag supplement, calcium and magnesium, I suggest trying that and that could stop it. It could also be an underuse of nitrogen. If you haven't been regularly feeding your plants nitrogen when you water them, that's probably the cause of the yellowing. From Jeremy S. off of an email, how do I really know when my plants are ready to harvest? Well, Jeremy, I use a microscope. I use a pocket microscope that I get from Radio Shack. It's got a little light on it. And you put it up to the flowers when they get close to harvesting. And you can see the trichomes up really close. They look like little mushroom stalks. And they'll start off clear as glass. And then as you get closer to harvest, the clear will turn to translucent and the translucent will turn to amber. And you want to harvest right when those trichomes start turning amber. As soon as you see five or even 10% amber trichomes, it's definitely time to harvest. Think of the amber as a ripe piece of fruit. And if you let that fruit get too ripe, it doesn't taste very good. So you want to catch it right when those trichomes start turning amber. From Ms. Brownie, through email. Hey Kyle, what's your opinion on blending light spectrums? I love blending light spectrums. My regimen is to veg under completely halide bulbs and never let my plants see any sodium until the day that I flower them. This helps with bud set and keeps them from stretching. So it's vegging under halide, flowering under sodium, and then about the middle of the flowering cycle, I'll add the halides in at a ratio of one to three, one halide for every sodium, and that'll help bulk up your flowers. Let's see, from Tori Gaz on Facebook, I'm in the process of moving. Do you know if it's okay to grow medical marijuana within a thousand feet of a school zone? I know it's absolutely illegal in an illegal state. I am not an expert on this, so I would call your local departments, your local health department or such to find out. But I believe that as long as it's personal and you are growing for your own medicinal use, I think that you have the right to do that. But I would double check before you go ahead and get yourself into any trouble. And lastly, from Daw30 on Twitter, with the organic Manamix, do you also use a liquid fertilizer at any point in the veg or flowering process? And if so, what brand would you recommend? Absolutely. Manamix only has an initial charge of fertilizer, and you definitely want to amend. In fact, I use Vega Matrix basically with every watering. So if you really want to have large flowers, large plants, you're definitely going to have to feed your plants. If you want to submit your own questions to Ask Kyle, just go to our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash The Grow Show or tweet the question to at Kyle Cushman 420 or at Canna Radio using the hashtag The Grow Show. And now we are out of time. I would like to thank our guests and producers for making this show possible. Make sure to check out my website, kylecushman.com, where you can find out where to follow me on social media and upcoming events I'll be attending. And you can find new episodes of The Grow Show every Wednesday by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining us again. I'm your host, Kyle Cushman, and as always, please stay lifted. 
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.